Welcome to the Preacher Podcast, where we believe that preaching should be biblical. And for it to be biblical, it must be Christ-centered. We talk to preachers about, well, preaching. Whether you have preached one sermon or 1,000, we're here to serve those who want to preach better. I'm your host, Alan Stanley. Hey everyone, coming up is a conversation I had with Graham Blakey and Jonathan Dove on the topic of creativity and preaching. These guys have got some great things to say. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, So, Jonathan Dove and Graham Blakey, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Great to be here. Could I ask both of you just briefly, just 30 seconds or so, just give a brief bio of yourself. Who are you? What you do? Where do you live? Jonathan, let's start with you. (laughs) So I am here in Tamaki Makoto in Auckland, New Zealand, uh, the senior pastor of a church called Grace City Church. So we have 55 different countries all represented within our church. So it feels a bit like a United Nations uh, around here. Uh, And then also wear a hat of leader for our Auckland church leaders. That's great. 55 different countries. Wow. Yes. Uh, uh, always uh, full of um, opportunities and uh, also a lot of challenges as we try to navigate uh, people through the various terrains. Yep. Mm, indeed. Graham. Um, my name's Graham, and uh, I have been involved with Campus Crusade in New Zealand. I'm a Kiwi, though I have spent uh, a number of years in the States, married to an American and have uh, been a senior pastor um, for about 19 years and currently working with Long Story Short down in Paradise in the Bay of Plenty. Great. And you were a senior pastor in the Chicago, Illinois area for a while. Is that right? Uh, In Wisconsin. Yeah, southern Wisconsin. And in an earlier life, I should say that I had the privilege of working for Graham too. So uh, I was an associate pastor uh, at a church where he was. And so I served for, what, two and a half years, I think, um, in that role. So I loved working with Graham, learning a lot about creativity. It was, it was a real treat. And, uh, and, and Jonathan is Mr. Creativity on steroids. <laughs> Well, that's why we have them on. That's why we have both of you on. So that's what we're talking about is creativity and preaching. And Jonathan, why don't you kind of get us started and just talking about what do we what do we mean when we're talking about creativity and preaching? Give us a general overview. Yeah, I, I wonder if I almost start with um, sometimes when I put some emerging preachers into a room, I've started off with a question um, is a propositional statement. Uh, better than a story. Uh, you know, so on, the, on a whiteboard, I have a propositional statement on one side, a story on the other side, and ask them, which is better communication, uh, which is more spiritual, which is better preaching, uh, which is meteor preaching, if I could say that. Uh, and normally, there's this tendency to go with the propositional. Give us, an example, a of a, give us an example of a propositional statement. Yeah, I think just just any any statement of of truth. It's just a didactic statement. Um, uh, God, God, God is love. love. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and and it's a true statement. And so we, because it's clear, uh, we tend to 
think that this is better communication. We think it's more spiritual, perhaps, and, and you know, meaty preaching. Um, but I think when I when I open scripture, uh, you know, it, it seems like majority of our Bibles is actually a narrative uh, story form. And so uh, God is very comfortable in forms that aren't propositional. And, and obviously, a lot of the New Testament particularly is in propositional statements. But um, a, a lot of the Bible is, is in narrative. It's, in, it's uh, in a whole bunch of other creative genres. And I, God is very comfortable in the creative space. Mm. But I, I think we need to widen our understanding of what preaching is, uh, what good communication is. Graham, do you have anything to add to that in terms of just, you know, when, when people hear the word creative preaching, what comes to your mind? I, I think a lot of people are scared of it. Um, perhaps unreasonably, they, they think of creativity perhaps as entertainment. And so I would define creativity as engagement rather than entertainment. And there's a tension between those two. And it's easy to, to go from one to the other. But I would agree with Jonathan that that our model has traditionally been propositional teaching and there's a place for that and um, and yet there are ways that that can be made more creative and there are different types of, of, of teaching and communication that are engaging in a lot of different ways, different senses and, and, and using the story form that communicate the same truths but in a very different form. And uh, so th there's a lot of value, I think, in exploring uh, different models of how to communicate. And as Jonathan said, Scripture is full of poetry and drama and proverbs and parables. And Jesus himself was, of course, the master storyteller and the, the communicator extraordinaire. So talk a little bit about either one of you. In what ways do, does creativity preaching, does creativity and preaching engage a person in a way that propositional preaching, let's call it that, can't? Yeah, I, I think it engages uh, all the senses for us. Uh, um, again, if I can use an example, um, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, you have this wonderful story when Nathan talks to David um, about the, um, his, his sin, uh, you know, and he could uh, wander up uh, in, in some of the preachers that I often hear, you know, that we're meant to be clear, uh, you know, in that sense of, well, I told them, um, but, but Nathan doesn't do that. He doesn't go up to, to David and say, David, you're an adulterer and you're a murderer. Uh, even though those things would be true and correct, you know, propositional statements. Uh, because I think uh, what Nathan is wanting to do is his, his whole goal is to turn David's heart. It's to uh, bring David to repentance. And so he tells a story, uh, a very compelling story that, that moves David, you know, emotionally. I mean, he's just like outraged. And in, in, the, in the story, I, I, I think in 2 Samuel 12, it's this, uh, the story of the lamb and the lamb grew up with the, the poor family. And then, you know, uh, and then the rich man came in and, and took that lamb away. And uh, he goes through and, you know, really spends detail on 
uh, you know, they cuddled with the lamb and the, and the lamb was precious to them and you've got all the justice issues going on and you feel the tension. And, and, then, and then David says, that's you, you're, you're that man. And, um, and I think even just reading that story, we, we tend to go, oh, ouch. Uh, but if David had, sorry, if Nathan had just walked in and said, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer. I mean, he's done his job as a communicator. Uh, it's clear, it's truthful. Doesn't engage the emotions, doesn't move people to where we wanted them to move. And I think, I think preaching needs to do a better job, not just of clarity, but of being compelling. Yeah, and I think you've, I think you've said that well, that um, the difference is that the propositional type of you know, statements engage the head. But even as you were talking, I was, you know, I was feeling that it was the heart, my heart was being engaged, my emotions were being engaged. Uh, which I guess raises an interesting uh, issue or question, doesn't it? In in terms of in in terms of preaching, um, some people might say, "Well, it's just it's just the head that needs to be engaged." Just, I mean, for example, I have you know I know a few pastors, and I've you know I've heard people say. Um, secondhand kind of thing that some people like preachers just to get straight into the word, straight into the Bible. Don't worry about a story at the beginning. Don't worry about some illustration to kind of connect with the audience. Just get straight to it. You know, and um, there's a there's a sense in which you know one misses the opportunity to engage at a deeper level. I think the thing about that story that Jonathan told is that there's a gotcha moment. You know, it's so unexpected and you can just feel the tension as Nathan is telling this story that creates emotions in David and the reader or the listener. And David is feeling empathy for this family whose little pet lamb has been robbed and stolen from them and so he's he's engaging with the truth in a different way and we as we hear the story are experiencing some of his emotions and the family's emotions and then bam nathan says you are the man and it's so incredibly powerful and i think that the 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 while communicating truth is what we're about, we've tended to limit that task to the traditional, and it's a bit of a cliche, but the three points in a poem, you know? And there's so much more to communicating truth and, and pulling people into a story so that they engage with it in a different way. And I think that's a, a really important task for us as preachers. There are a lot of different ways to do that. And that doesn't mean that we're abandoning communicating propositional truth, but we're, 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 we're forcing ourselves to think through different lenses and to want to connect the truth of God's word to people in, the, in our congregations and our audience in a way that has a has a gotcha moment there's a bit of surprise there there's there's engagement that's not same old same old you know typically people will show up to church and they'll sit there thinking 
you know, we have the same structure, the same order, the same flow. Uh, we read the scripture. We have three points and a conclusion and a song. And, you know, and we, we get into a rut. So we, we, we want to have people engage with the truth of God's word in a way that really confronts them in their emotions. And that might be in a positive way. It might be in a negative way. Um, but we, we, I think it was Howard Hendricks who said that it's a, it's a sin, it's a crime to bore people with the Bible. And so mm. as preachers, we, we really have a responsibility not to entertain, but to engage people creatively with the truth of God's word. And that's going to look different for different preachers and in different contexts, but we've all got to strive towards that. I, I like um, a word you used. Um, Graham, that the unexpected. So, so I guess another example outside of the Bible about good communication from my standpoint, but if um, either of you or any of the listeners have flown on Air New Zealand, um, you know, there is a flight video, a flight safety video that, that's always engaging. And uh, in, in their case, it's typically quite funny or it's very visual, but it's not boring. Uh, and I think when any of us think about flight safety videos, we just no, it's going to be, you know, one, two, three, four things I'll go through and we tend to turn off and we're kind of glazed over when we look at the screens that we have to watch. But in New Zealand, there's, there's people actually putting down their books and, and, and leaning in because they, they want to watch this video about flight safety. Uh, and it's unexpected, uh, but it engages us. And I think that's just a good example of communication of something that's actually quite boring but we want to pay attention. And I think if, if Air New Zealand can do that with a flight video uh, on safety that no one actually wants to pay any attention to, we have God's word that's actually life-changing. Uh, we, we want people to engage in this. Uh, we want them to lean in and, and pay attention. And, and like Graham said, it is a sin if we bore people with, with God's word. It's you know, a terrible thing. Talk to us a little bit about... Uh Jesus. I mean, he he's probably the prime example. I don't think, obviously not the only example, but he's a good example of, of someone who uses creativity in his teaching. Uh, what can we learn from him? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, that the metaphors. I, I was um, reading uh, in my quiet time this morning of, of uh, don't build your house on the sand. You know, and, and I, I would imagine... I, a whole lot of people, you just need to mention that phrase and there's a whole like sermon that comes with that all because it's a, it's a visual uh, image and, and, and you get the whole point of the sermon he's making. Uh, you, you might not know the verse reference. You might not even remember somebody preaching it, but because of the image, it's memorable and it's still powerful. Um, you know, the, the lily on the field, the, the kingdom of God is a, is a mustard seed, you know, all, all these different images that, that Jesus says that the salt of, uh, you are the salt of the earth, you're, you're the light on a hill. We immediately understand the meaning behind those things because we're visual people. Um, and of, but again, of course, most, and of course, most of the time he was walking around outside so he could, you know, point to these things and we're typically stuck behind the pulpit. Well, that raises a good point because that may mean that we need to bring the outside inside, that we need to have some props, that we need to put some things on the stage, that we need to use elements that are not naturally 
in the church. So tell us about some of what are the ways that both of you have used props. Yeah, yeah so, so one of them for me that um, I, I think illustrates what, what you can do, but uh, numbers too, you know, uh, probably very few people have preached through numbers, but I would recommend it as a, as a great book to preach through. Uh, and in Numbers 2, you, you, you just have a, a passage where it just lists all the 12 tribes of Israel and, and where they camped and, uh, you know, and, and you read the passage and it, it's, it's like, oh, well, let's cross over that when I move to chapter 3. But in our context, when we actually built a tabernacle in the very middle of the auditorium, that was, that was unexpected when people walked in. And they started to get people in four camps around the auditorium. So you had the Eastern group with Judah and co, and you had the Southern camp with Reuben and co, and the Western camp with Ephraim and co, and the Northern camp with Dan and co. And, and then people started to understand, oh, oh wait a sec, God, God's actually doing something here. He's, he's communicating the importance that he wants to be at the very center of community life. Uh, and, and, then, and then it was like this aha moment for our whole church to actually lean into that, um, to, to realize that, that God is teaching them something. He, he wants to be in the center of the community so that every morning when they would wake up, the very first thing, if they, you know, unzip their tent and, and peer out um, outside, that, that they would see the, um, the, the cloud of the Lord's presence about to guide them, that the Lord was with them. Uh, every time that they uh, went to bed at night and, and zipped that tent, down and, and you know the last thing they would see is the fire of God's presence, center of their community. Uh, if they woke up in fear in the middle of the night, wondering what was happening, they could, you know, unzip it and 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 the Lord's presence would be there by by that fire that was guiding them. Uh, always seeing it, and I think that the the beauty of of a of a congregation being able to experience that is suddenly bringing a passage that actually looks at first glance one of those things we need to glance over. Suddenly, it's like oh, this is so precious. And then we're able to start talking about what does that mean for us uh, to actually uh, allow the, the, uh, God's presence to, to be the centre of, of our church community, the centre of our families, the centre of our lives. Mm, that's uh, a good way to engage the audience. Graham, what about you? What, what have you done? Um, a, a couple of things come to mind. One would be uh, I did a, a very... Um, propositional cerebral message on justification uh, so it wasn't theology light by any means but we set it up as a court case and so I was the prosecuting attorney and we read the charges we we gave people a charge sheet when they came in and it was you know this whole list of sins from from Romans 1 and um, the, the, the people, it was God against the people, and I was the prosecuting attorney. And, uh, and at the end of that, after we had talked about how guilty we all are and that we have no defense, we looked at the role of Christ as our advocate and as the one who has paid our penalty. And everyone came up to uh, different stations. We had four shredders set up around the uh, the church, and they took that charge sheet and they, they could have written additional sins on there if they wanted to, and they shredded that sheet, and then we took communion. And so here's a contemporary analog, an illustration of what it means today to be acquitted 
of of the charges against you of sin, and you have the, the, the this audible hum of the paper going through the shredder, and it's such a different, it's such a a, a compelling, unexpected sound and image of forgiveness that you would never just you know, kind of dream up. You'd never think of it, but there it was. And it it really reinforced to people, hey, my sins have been taken care of by God, by Christ on the cross. It's a great example is there is, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, given what we see in the Gospels, it's not as though standing behind the pulpit and simply talking for 30 minutes is the one method of preaching is is the it's it's not as though this is it's it's not as though you're departing from some form of godliness by bringing in these kind of props i remember a sermon i preached years ago on the good samaritan and i was trying to work out how to uh, apply the fact that the priest and the levite had not crossed the road because of their interpretation of the law, because of their Jewish traditions, etc. They didn't want to touch someone who was unclean. And I was trying to figure out how to get that across and communicate to the people rather than simply saying, you know, sometimes our traditions get in the way. And so I came up with this idea um, and what I did when the, when the moment came in the sermon, I said, Boy, it's hot in here. And um, actually, someone got up just to, just as I said that, and they went to the back to um, open some windows. But in the meantime, I was starting to take off my clothes, and um, I'd, I'd underneath I had had a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, and I ended up being in bare feet and so on and so forth. Anyway, this was back in the day when um, you know you know you kind of wear nice clothes to church you even some people would wear a suit and stuff and so standing up there a short and shorts and t-shirt was a bit out of this world and uh and and then i simply made the point after that after you know while i'd done that i i, I carried on as though nothing had happened and i suddenly said oh why are you all looking at me what's wrong oh oh are you offended that i'm standing up here in shorts and t-shirt and, or perhaps more offended that I'm standing up here in shorts and t-shirt more than you care about the person sitting next to you. And that was one of the gotcha moments, you know. And, and the funny thing is, I remember someone coming up to me afterwards and, and he said that he heard two people behind him say, oh, and he's done that in church as well. And that was exactly the kind of point that I was trying to make. It's people still remember that today. Um, yeah, and, and you which, make a really good, really good point there too, that that, that sense of, uh, these familiar or passages that can be incredibly familiar to to present them in the same way, you know, uh, is what people expect. Uh, and most people already know the big idea that they already know the outcome of the story. So, you know, it's, it's almost more of a challenge as a communicator to bring something unexpected in a story to bring that big idea fresh to us so we feel it again. And I think what you did is exactly that: is that unexpected gotcha moment. Where you lean and go, oh yeah, that's exactly what what's happening here in the story, and I'm just as guilty of it too. 
Mm, it wasn't Jesus. He was. I mean, that's what he does in so many different ways in the Gospels. Is is he brings us to that gotcha moment, or he retells something of Israel's history in a way in which, um, you know, just causes people to rethink and redo all of their ideas. Be sure to check out the next episode for the rest of this conversation. Thanks for listening to the Preacher Podcast. If you've got a question or topic you'd like answered on a podcast, then please email alan at preachit.nz. If you'd like to know more about Preachit and the training we offer, go to www.preachit.nz or check out our Facebook page. This podcast was produced and edited by Ruffian Beats with music by Samuel James. Catch you next time on the Preacher Podcast where we want to serve those who want to preach better.